It's a pleasure to serve a God that's been there and done that and not a God that just assumes how you feel. Amen. Jesus knows what pain is. Jesus scuffed his knee. Jesus may have broken a bone when he was younger. Jesus has had emotional pain. He's had relational pain. He's had physical pain. Right? He's had spiritual pain. All this before he even became a minister of the gospel. Think about that. I would imagine Jesus probably had a crush on a girl somewhere. And may have had his heart broken. I don't know for sure. I just imagine that. Are you, are you picking up what I'm throwing down this morning? Yes. Jesus qualifies to be your best friend. So what does that do? What does that, what does that mean for us that Jesus qualifies to be our best friend? That means that Jesus is able to understand to meet you where you are. Come on. When you understand who Jesus is, you can better serve him and love him and receive from him. Amen. Some of us can't receive from God because we don't believe that he really loves us. We don't believe that he really cares for us. You know, Jesus had to walk in forgiveness. Jesus was hurt by other people. He understands the struggle of of forgiving somebody. He's had people mad at him. Unjustly, right? So if you understand who Jesus is, then you can better serve him and love him. Amen? So that was last week. That was good, wasn't it? Thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2 from the Message Translation says it like this. It says, you were, this is Paul speaking. He says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. Paul told the church of Corinth, I came to you very simple, very plain. I didn't come to you with, the, with eloquent speech and, and trying to make myself look like a professional speaker. I came to you just to simply tell you who Jesus is first. Because he wanted you to understand who Jesus is. Right? Before you understand what Jesus did. Oh, you got to use your brain a little bit this morning. You got to first understand who Jesus is before you can really receive what he did. Are you hearing me? You got to understand that that he's he's a God that knows. He's a God that's been there. He's a God that's done that. He's experienced everything so he can relate. Amen. I mean, I, I, I talk to Pastor Josh on a regular basis and I just to check up on him. And I'm like, I'm like, man, I, I don't know what to tell you, Pastor Josh. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, he's heard every religious thing you could you could say. I'm like, but man, honestly, as a friend, I don't know what to say because I've never had one of my kids in a position that yours is in. I said, so, man, I, I just want you to know I love you. I'm with you. I can't relate to that because I haven't been there. Are you with me? But Jesus can. Come on. He can. So then he can minister to Pastor Josh. He can speak life into Pastor Josh. He can help Pastor. And then here's the, here's the secret. Pastor Josh can receive from Jesus because he knows that Jesus understands. 
Because he's learning more and more who Jesus really is. Can I tell you, we'll never stop learning who Jesus is. Just because we do this series for eight weeks about Jesus is doesn't mean that you're going to leave at the end of eight weeks and know who Jesus is. You're going to know more than you did before, but you're going to experience more. Amen. You all right this morning? Okay. I just want to make sure. So today I want to talk to you about Jesus is a teacher. Jesus is the perfect teacher. How many of you have had bad teachers before? Everybody needs to raise their hand. Whether you're right or wrong. I mean, you just, if you failed the class and the teacher was great, she's a bad teacher. Right? I mean, that was my story through high school. Just bad teacher. Mom would say, why are you failing that class? Bad teacher, mom. Bad teacher. Forget the fact that I didn't do my homework. Jesus is, is the greatest teacher that ever lived. 48 times in the gospel, Jesus is, is re- referred to as teacher. People would sit down and listen to Jesus for hours. Teach about the kingdom. Teach about the Beatitudes. You know the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor. You know those, those, all those? They would listen. They would follow him and sit on the side of a mountain. Just to hear him teach. More people knew Jesus as teacher than they did as savior. They called him rabbi. They looked to him as a teacher. Man, they've they've, they've questioned who is this guy that thinks he can walk up in here and teach us with all this authority. People were blown away by the way Jesus taught. People were offended by the way Jesus taught. John 13, 15 says this, Jesus saying, talking to his disciples just after he finished washing their feet. Think about this. They've said they've had supper. Jesus said, you're going to betray me. And Jesus is there and he washes their feet. His disciples. You remember Peter stood up and said, oh, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. And he gets rebuked and all that other stuff. But he washes their feet. And look at what Jesus says. In John 13, verse 15, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Wow. In other words, guys, what you've seen me do, you need to repeat. See, it's not that Jesus just taught with words. Jesus taught with actions. Come on, he backed up everything that he said. Are you hearing me this morning? He didn't just say it. it. I used to work with a guy of color and he would... We would talk trash all the time and he would, you know, I would always act like I could pick him up and throw him across the street. One day he looked at me and said, bro, don't sing it, bring it. In other words, stop saying it and do it. And sometimes I feel like that's what God's telling me is is shut up and do it. I don't know if he's telling you the same thing or not, but Jesus said, I gave you an example. Follow it. This was hours before Jesus went to the cross. What a great lesson to teach your disciples. I mean, think about this. Peter leaves this time, this moment with Jesus. And he goes and then Jesus, they go into the garden and then Jesus is arrested. And Peter cuts a guy's ear off. I mean, he, he just had his feet washed by Jesus. And he jumps up and he cuts a dude's ear off. Can I be honest with you? I'd have cut the other one off. I'm serious. Jesus, I probably would have just jumped in and just... 
We won. Praise God, we won. Jesus puts the, he puts the soldier's ear back on. And he looks at Peter. And in that moment, he teaches Peter something. He says, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword, Peter. You know what that says to me? That, Jamie, if you do everything out of your own strength, you're going to die by your own strength. Jesus showed the perfect example of humility and, and how to sacrifice to his disciples. You know, and crazy thing is Peter leaves there and he goes to the temple and he denies Jesus three times. You're like, dude, he just washed your feet. He just put the guy's ear back on that you cut off. And now you're denying him three times. But then when Jesus rises from the grave, who does he ask for first? Bring me Peter. Isn't that, a, isn't that an education in forgiveness? Isn't that an education in love? Imagine what Peter felt like. Listen, Peter, nobody had to tell Peter he blew it. Right? Because I promise you, the devil jumped on him like a madman. With guilt and condemnation. Peter went back fishing. He's like, I've blown it. I've lost it. I've gone too far. He don't love me no more. Jesus says, where's Peter? Come on, buddy. I'm building my church on you. You're the rock. What a great lesson. You know, we're going to face situations where we don't, we don't know what to do. How many of you face situations this week where you just don't know what to do? Don't know. You're like, you're stumped. Maybe your wife's looking at you going, what are we going to do? And you're like, I don't know. You try to be strong. I don't know. I'll figure something out. Inside you crying like a baby. We all face situations where we don't know what to do. And there's, there's certain ways that we handle that. And I want to show you that this morning. There's this, this type of a cycle that we get on when we don't look to the teacher first. Are you hearing me? When, you, when, you, when that impossible situation comes in front of you and it stands in front of you breathing and snarling and doing what it does. You've got choices to make. Are you going to go to the teacher first? Or are you going to do what you always do? Let me show you what I believe we always do. And I say always loosely. Number one, we try and fix it ourselves. Don't we? Isn't that so much the truth? Soon as a problem arises, what happens? You jump into fix it mode, right? Come on, you turn into Bob the Builder. We're going to fix it. Bob, the bridge fell down. Let's go fix it. Isn't that what we do? Man, I'm going to fix it. I got to fix this thing. And for me, it's like a magnet. When a problem comes up, it's like I get drawn to it. I'm like, Aah! I know I'm not supposed to fix it. I've busted my head against the wall a thousand times knowing that I need to go to the teacher first. But instead, I keep on trying to fix it. And sometimes I just go, I look in the mirror and I go, you knucklehead. When are you going to learn? So number one, we try to fix it ourselves. I don't need anybody else. I can do it. I got this. I got this. Number two, we look to others. Right? If we can't fix it ourselves, what do we do? We go to other people. (laughs) 
And you end up with some kind of Dr. Phil or Oprah advice. Right? And you kind of go, huh? And you're kind of like, that didn't help. That really did confuse everything. And so we get so frustrated because we get this bad advice because we're going to other people that we end up learning to live with it. Or we at least try to, right? Come on. How many of you have made the statement, well, this is just my burden to carry. This is just the way things are supposed to be. I'm supposed to always be bald-headed. <laughs> Woe is me. And if you're not careful and you stay there, you end up trying to show off to other people and you try to keep your down in front of other people so that they, they know that you're, this is your thing, right? This is my little trophy that I'm carrying. This is, this is my sacrifice. We'll, we'll religiousize, we'll, we'll magnify that thing and make it seem like it's something that God just blessed us with. Won't we? Trying to convince ourselves that we're just supposed to live with this thing. Got a bad marriage and you've tried to fix it and it didn't work. And you tried to get others to fix it and it didn't work. And finally go, I just got to live with it. Talked to a guy last night. He hung on for 30 something years to his marriage, trying to fix it himself. And he told me, he said, I couldn't fix it. 30-something years, he hung on. Finally, he gave up. Wow. Then finally, after we've tried to fix it, after we've seeked others' example and others' wisdom, and then we learn to live with it, we get what happens? We get tired of it, don't we? At first, we're gung-ho. I'm going to live with this thing. I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to do this. And then you get tired of it. And then what finally happens? You finally give it to God. Right? And then what happens? Boom! It's all good. And so then what do you do? God, I should have done this a long time ago. How many of you have ever said that? Man, I should have went to God a long time ago. God, I've taken notes to remind myself. Go to God first. Put on the dashboard of my truck. In my business. I'm going to go to God first. Remember that, Jamie. Go to God first. And here comes the problem. And I'm like the bug with the bug light. <laughs> There's a problem. i got to fix it. Right? I've had people hold me. Man, hold me accountable. i got to go to God first. I'm tired of beating my head against this wall. But it's a vicious cycle we get on, isn't it? And when things come up and things seem impossible, we try to fix it ourselves. I wonder what it would be like if we would just turn the whole thing around. Just go to God first. Go to the teacher. That's why it's important to study God's word. Right? His word says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You can't necessarily walk around with your Bible and do your job. I mean, if you're a mechanic and you're trying to fix a car, this ain't going to work. Right? But you need to read the word and you need to hide the word in your heart. What does that mean? That means you meditate on the word. You just don't read two scriptures a day and believe it's going to keep the devil away. Amen? You got to chew on this thing like a cow chews its cud. I mean, you got you to keep on top of it. Hide it in your heart so that way any moment, any place, anywhere, when something comes, bing, 
I got his word. It's sharper than a double-edged sword to take care of anything that I might face. Watch what Ephesians 5.1 says from the message translation. Then I'll show you in another translation. It says, watch what God does and then you do it. I'm like, wow, that's deep. Man. And I took notes on it. I'm like, God. You sit back in the chair, you just kind of go, man, God, you're good. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Doesn't that just simplify it? Just watch what God does and do it. Wow. Just watch what he does and do it. Now from the NCV version, it says this, you are God's children whom he loves, so try to be like him. The question is, is are you trying to be like your parents or are you trying to be like God? I'll say it like this. Are you trying to be like your mentor or are you trying to be like God? You see, when I disciple somebody, I tell them, I say, you can follow after me. Like Paul says, come follow me. You know, you follow after me and I'll help you. You can follow me, but I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Jesus. Right? So when we don't look to the teacher first, the cycle, it just, it just keeps on. And we just get stuck in that cycle, don't we? Let's figure out how to get out of that cycle. Let's look at what the, what the teacher does. And I want to show you four things this morning. It's not the only four things that Jesus teaches us. It's just four things I chose to preach about this morning. Okay? So number one, Jesus came to show us how to overcome temptation by the word of God. How many of you want to know how to overcome temptation? I was hoping everybody would raise their hand. Maybe you were taking notes. I gave you an excuse. So Jesus shows us how to overcome temptation by the word of God. You remember how it was? Jesus, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He came out of the water. And what happened? It says the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And then a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Stop right there for a minute. I wonder what those people that were standing there watching Jesus get baptized, thought, felt, and did after hearing a voice from heaven say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, how can you ever be the same after that moment? Seriously. I go, wow. What did those people get to experience? So Jesus leaves from that moment and he goes straight into the desert for 40 days. He doesn't eat, doesn't drink, doesn't do anything for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. It was an appointment he had with the devil to be tempted. So he goes into the desert. That's where we pick the story up in Matthew 4. It says this in verse 3. It says, during that time, the devil came and said to him. I want you to watch. Jesus is showing us something. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Stop right there. What's the first thing Jesus told the devil? 
No. You know, the Bible says if you resist him, he will flee from you. We just got to learn how to say no. Say it again. No. No, I wasn't going to say it again. You may need to start your day off and wake up in the bed and say no. Now your husband might flip out. No. I ain't going there. I ain't going there. Now, don't use that against your alarm clock. You're going to be late for work and lose your job, you lazy lima bean. But he talks to the devil and he says, no. Let me let me let you in on a little secret. You can talk to the devil. You don't have to listen to him, but you can talk to him. In fact, some of you need to start talking to him. Because you got things that are hanging on you, like you done, you done went through the bayou and got hung up in every little trout line and alligator hook. You got so much stuff hanging on you because you just simply don't know how to tell the devil no. A little praise report the other night, we had bluebell ice cream at the house. Somebody said, do you want some? I said, no. Hey, I'm celebrating. I might have made it up the next day, but I did say no. <laughs> Some of us. <laughs> Y'all got to pray for me. This is the worst month in, in all the year. We got like five or six birthday parties this month. and then <sighs> No. <laughs> so Jesus first says no to the devil. He says no. Listen, the enemy knew his weakness. He knew he hadn't eaten for a while. He knew he was starving. And he comes to him and says, Man of God, tell these stones to turn into bread and feed yourself if you so bad. Come on, you know how he speaks to you? Oh, Meshach, you've been working so hard. You just, you just need to go out and eat tonight. And your finances are saying, No! Right? Jesus says, No. And then watch what he does. He battles with what? The word. the word of God. He says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word is a sword. It's sharper than a double edged sword to pierce even the hardest hearts. It's sad to say, but I believe most Christians today don't know how to use the word. Verse five, then the devil took him to a holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. The enemy starts using the word of God. Let me tell you something. The devil knows the word of God. His problem is he don't know how to obey it. That's what got him in trouble. So the enemy comes back at Jesus with the word of God. Watch what Jesus does. Jesus responded. The scriptures also say. You must not test the Lord your God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Verse 8. Next the devil took him to a peak on a very high mountain. And showed him all of the, the kingdoms of the world and their glory. 
And he said this, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Jesus had enough. He said, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Sometimes you need to tell the devil no. Sometimes you need to slap him in the face with the word. And other times you just need to say you need to get out of here. I have used that statement, get behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus, more than any other statement in in my whole life. And let me tell you something, it works. Get behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. There's times that there may be things going through my mind, thinking about the past and maybe old girlfriends or whatever it was. And I go, get behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Lord, cleanse my mind, please. And boom, it's gone. Not to get weird on you, but I've cast the devil out of my house several times. And I tell him to go and listen to me. I am a child of God. When I say go in the name of Jesus, he's got to go. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's got to go. Because I'm using the authority that was given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. As believers, all we got to do is resist the devil and use the authority that Jesus has given us. And we can have victory everywhere we turn. Amen. Amen. We can have victory everywhere we turn if we'll just use it. If we'll just follow what the teacher says. Go with me to Psalms 119 verse 9 to 11. I don't have it on here. Posey, can you throw that up real quick? Psalms 119, 9 to 11. It's a memory verse of mine. I just don't have verse 10. But verse 9 says this. It says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. I'm not sure what verse 10 says. Don't worry about it. With my whole heart I seek you. And then verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you overcome temptation? Hiding God's word in your heart. Jesus didn't have the Bible when he was in the desert. He didn't have it in his hand. But he had God's word in his heart. Are you hearing me? You see, we got to take God's word seriously. We got to understand its power and its authority on this planet. You got to take his word. It's not that you read a chapter a day. It's just you read enough for what you need and you take that and you hang on to it. You chew on it all day long. You exercise his word during the day. Because I promise you, if you read something about anger and you pray, say, Lord, help me with my anger. He's going to test you. Is he not? Yes. I heard somebody today say, I'm quitting praying. I said, for what? Because everything I pray for, I get tested in. I feel you. I'm thinking about quitting myself. So how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus fought with the word. You've seen that example. So he shows us how to overcome temptation by the word of God. 
Number two, he shows us how to face impossible situations by faith. You remember the story of Lazarus. Jesus gets news that Lazarus is sick. His disciples come and say, hey, Jesus, your best friend, Lazarus, he's sick. You ready to go? We got the bags packed. The the, the mule's loaded. Let's go. And Jesus goes, no, let's just stay here. You imagine what his disciples felt like? What's up with him? Him and Lazarus had a falling out. Why is he not going to see Lazarus? And Jesus intentionally waited four days. John 11 says it like this in verse 35. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, please, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you, if you would, that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, watch how he says this. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. It's almost as if Jesus was putting on a performance. But he was doing like Pastor Willem did when he was with us. Listen, I want to show you an example. So he does this. He goes, Lord, thank you for hearing me like you always do. And I'm saying it out loud so all of you can see what's going on. Can hear. (laughs) You see in this. And then it goes on. It says, You always hear me, but I said it out loud for all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted. He shouted. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. You see the example Jesus used. He overcame an impossible situation by faith. Man, to be one of his disciples, huh? To even be Mary or Martha, who I'm sure was struggling with their feelings towards Jesus because he didn't get there soon enough. You ever get mad at God because he didn't show up soon enough? You ever get upset with him because he didn't show up the way you wanted him to? Jesus, after four days, comes and he says, I want you to know. The power of God. And I want you to see this. I thought my trip with Pastor Villain was pretty incredible. If I'd have been there, I'd have been like, whoa. (laughs) I'd be like, did you see that? That dude dude came out the grave. (laughs) God. Shamaray, Pastor Willem's son, on Friday nights, they make it a practice of their, their little youth group or whatever it is. They hang out for a little while in fellowship, and then they go to the hospitals and ask permission to go pray for people. 
This is what they do for fun. Thinking, man, y'all pretty radical. I was looking for something to smoke. Yeah, they're looking for something to heal. And they go to the hospitals and they just pray for people. And I'm like, wow. Man, I'm 39 years old. This boy's 15 years old. I'm going, wow. Can I tell you something? That provokes me. That challenges me to do something greater than what I've, I'm comfortable with. Something greater than what I'm used to. Amen? It challenges me. If I'd have been there with Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the grave, it would have challenged me. Especially when Jesus said, the things that you've seen me do, you will go on to do greater things. Oh, and by the way, you're going to face more hell than I did too. That might would have knocked me back a little bit. But Jesus overcame in an impossible situation by faith. And he taught a lesson on faith. The lesson on faith was that it's never too late. It's never too late. God's never giving up. He's always there. He's always listening. Just trust him. Just dare to ask him for the impossible. Are you with me? This has got to be good. You are quiet. Hebrews 11, 6 says this, and this is one of my favorite verses. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. So let me ask you a question. You want to please God? No, no, I didn't hear you. I said, do you want to please God? Then you're going to have to walk by faith to please God. Pleasing God isn't staying in your comfort zone. Pleasing God isn't saying, well, I did this when we were young, so we're good. We're going to coast it on out to the end. That's not faith. Amen, Pastor. That's not faith. My hero, Miss Mary, in her ripe young age, just started up a Bible study in her housing complex. She stepped out in faith. She's preached on the streets. She's she's led people to the Lord. We've prayed for miracles. She's seen miracles. She's seen all kind of great things. She could have easily just said, you know what? I'm going to coast this thing out until Jesus comes or I go. But I made a statement a couple weeks ago. I said, if you ain't dead, you ain't done. And it did something to Miss Mary. She called me on the phone, fired up. Me and Ethan were running from one grass cut to the next. And she's like, Pastor, I just want you to know I'm starting a Bible study on Fridays. And I had her on speakerphone and Ethan's listening. I mean, she's like fired up. Me and Ethan were like dragging tail, tired. Waiting for the last one to come. And she's like, I'm starting a Bible study. I got four people ready to show up. Ooh, I just want you to stand with me. I'm like, Phew. so I started getting fired up. So we get off the phone. I tell Ethan, I said, son, when I get old, I want to be just like that. I hear you, dad. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I appreciate the fact that Miss Mary's still going strong. She's not stopping. The question is, is what do you believe in God for? Is it just to fix things or is it to step into new territories? Are you believing God for a new ministry, a new open door? Mark and Etage right now are are walking by faith and nothing else. huh? (laughs) That's it. Just faith. Mark had neck surgery this week. And unless God heals him, he's going to have back surgery in a month or two. 
They need Jesus. They, they got to trust Jesus. They can't trust anything else. Right? The Bible says the just shall walk by faith. That means you're going to walk by faith one way or the other. So you, it means you can try and duck and hide and, and skip your turn. It's kind of like when you're in a small group setting and you open up for, for open discussion. We have this on Wednesday night sometimes. I'll go, okay, so what does that mean to you? And the people sit there like, I'm going to look down. Maybe if I don't make eye contact, he'll, he'll pass me by. <laughs> me, oh my, pass me on by. Some of us are like that with God right now, right? Some of us are ducking, saying, Lord, you know, that's a good message, Pastor. And we're trying to duck out on faith, trying to get out of using faith. <laughs> The just shall walk by faith. That means you're going to walk by faith one way or the other. You ever tell your kids you're going to do that one way or the other? I tell my kids you can do it on your own or you can do it with my foot. Plain and simple. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. So number three, Jesus shows us how to submit to God's plan by obedience. Come on, that's your favorite word, submit. Right, women? I just missed that one. Thank God. That's all of our favorite word. Submit. Obedience. Submit. Obedience. Maybe you ever heard the term flesh? How many of you ever been in the flesh and you all need to raise your hands? How many of you ever threatened somebody to get in the flesh? How many of you have ever said... Lord, turn you back for five minutes. <laughs> Just five, Lord. So all I need is five. I'll be so satisfied for the next five minutes that it'll just be glorious. Then you can look and I'll cry and repent and go say I'm sorry and humble myself. But just five minutes, Lord. Man, our flesh is hungry, isn't it? It's constantly hungry for something. I'm about to get in the flesh. I'm about to sin big time. I'm about to jump all in. So how do we submit to God's plan by obedience? Jesus taught us. First Peter 2.21, he says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He's got a unique plan for your life. If you're not willing to submit your life to his and follow his plan in obedience, then let me tell you something. You're going to keep on fighting. You're going to keep on struggling. You're going to keep on banging your head against the wall. You're going to keep on coming to an end somewhere in life. And let me tell you, it's a, it's a constant battle to stay on course with God. It's a constant battle of killing my flesh and submitting my will to his. You know, one of the things for me to say is, not my will, but yours, Lord. And mean it. Yours, Lord. As a leader, it's hard for me to say, okay, you lead. <laughs> right? Because if you're a strong leader, you want to lead. Right? Anybody struggle with that? I've, I've tried to let people lead other things. And I'll be honest with you. Most of the time I just sit there on pins and needles going, 
Jump in now. Jump in. You jump in now. It's hard for me to submit. Matthew 26, 39 says he went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Tell me Jesus doesn't know what pain is. The Bible says he started sweating blood. You ever sweat that bad? He started sweating blood. He was he was in so much anxiety and so much stress and having to make a this great of a decision. Think about that. In that moment, Jesus says, Lord, if it, can you please take this cup from me? In other words, is there any other way to do this? Please, Lord. But I want your will to be done and not mine. Man, what a perfect example. What a perfect example. Your will, not mine. Let me ask you a question. Do you like dying to things? Anybody likes dying to something? Dying to your flesh? You know what's crazy is it's not the natural thing to do, right? The natural thing for us to do is to do what our flesh wants us to do, right? That just comes easy. That just kind of flows like the river. But to die to ourselves and do what Jesus wants us to do is tough. Let's just be real. It's tough. And sometimes it ain't fun. Amen? It's just not fun. What do you mean, Lord, I can't buy that new bass boat right now? <laughs> I've said, that ain't God, that's the devil. <laughs> God wants me to have a new bass boat. So he shows us how to submit to God's plan by obedience. Number four, he shows us unconditional love by forgiveness. Isn't that good? Amen. Unconditional love by forgiveness. The greatest way that God shows us his love for us is through, unforg- it's, it's through forgiveness. It's through forgiving us for what we've done, for our rebellious attitudes, being a rogue Christian, being, wanted, being a person that wants to do this on your own, going through that vicious cycle over and over and over again where I'm going to try to fix it and running to God last instead of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and letting all these things be added to us. We just keep on going and we repent and we keep going and we repent and we keep going, right? He forgives us of that. You know, his heart for us is to just keep going. He's constantly saying to me, come on, champ, just get up. Get up. No, don't go that way. You've been there already. Ain't no grass on that trail no more. You done been there so long. Come on, go this way. Try it this way. Come on, it's it's not going to hurt that bad. Just trust me. He's constantly telling me, trust me. Just trust me. Step out into something different. Just trust me. I believe he's saying that to all of us this morning. Just trust me. He shows us unconditional love by forgiveness. You remember the lady, the prostitute? 
She fell at Jesus' feet and he said to her, you're free. Your sins are forgiven you. Be free. Later on, she comes back around and it intrudes into a dinner party that Jesus is at. And she pours out his worth of ointments or, or perfumes and she bathes Jesus right there. She just walks in, doesn't ask permission, doesn't ask, doesn't make an appointment. She just walks in because she's so moved by his forgiveness that she's just moved to action. And she goes in and she bathes Jesus in, in, an, in an ointment or a, or a perfume that, that's worth a, a year's wages. She was moved by his forgiveness and his love for her. Luke seven forty seven. Jesus says this right after she does it. He says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You know, when when someone sins against you, you have two choices, forgiveness or bitterness. That's the really the only two choices you have. Somebody hurts you or somebody does something or says something or acts a certain way towards you. You really only have two choices. Are you going to forgive them or are you not? And if you're not, then you're going to end up in this thing called bitterness. And let me tell you something. Bitterness and unforgiveness is like cancer. It spreads. It spreads and it causes death. In your soul, even in your flesh, it causes death. I got a relative that my mom was dying and she did some things that I didn't agree with. And I said some pretty strong things to her. And I never went back and made it right. And I didn't see her for three years. And she was in her 30s. When my grandmother passed away, I went back and I saw her. And I was getting ready to preach my grandmother's funeral. And I'm sitting there just preparing and I walked by her and said, hey, you know, it's kind of the old cold shoulder thing. Hey, how you doing? When I saw her, it looked like she was 50 years old. Her skin was wrinkled. She was in her 30s. Her skin was wrinkled. Her hair was graying. She just looked old and decrepit. I said, wow, what happened to her? And I'm sitting there waiting to preach my grandmother's funeral. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you need to get up and go make it right now. It's like 10 minutes I'm getting up to speak now. I stood up and I walked over to her. I said, hey, can I talk to you outside? And she kind of, okay. And we went outside and I said, I just need you to please forgive me. I need to ask for your forgiveness because I said some things that evidently hurt you. And just instantly, she just broke. She just began to weep right in the, middle, in the front of the funeral home. She just began to cry. And she said to me, she said, I was mad at you. I said, I know. I deserve that. I said, but I, I, I just, I'm asking you to forgive me and I'm saying I'm sorry. And she forgave me. Her countenance changed. She had life back in her again. Unforgiveness is like a cancer. And if we don't deal with it, it'll kill you. Amen? It will kill you. Jesus is quick to forgive. In 1 John, he says, if you confess your sins, I'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
But what does the enemy say to you with that verse? He says, no, you can never go back to him. He'll never forgive you again. It's a one-time deal. If you don't get it right the first time and you mess up, it's over with. Isn't that what he tells us? Because he's trying to give a, get us to live this life of condemnation and guilt so we never come back to Christ. But Christ is constantly showing us his unconditional love through forgiveness. Listen to me, I blow it every day. I am not perfect. I'm nowhere near perfect. Some of you are probably better than me if we could grade things. But let me tell you one thing about me. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. No one's been sinned against more than Jesus, right? No one has ever had more reason to walk in unforgiveness than Jesus. You know what's crazy? Is that as he's on the cross, he's nailed to the cross and they stand him up. He looks out at the people that he's actually giving his life for. The people that were cursing him. The people that were slandering him. They were saying things, spitting on him. Crucify him. Crucify him. He looks at them and he says this. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The two guys hanging on the cross next to him. One of them says, he's just full of hell. He just goes, ah, forget you. Who do you think you are? If you're so bad, call down angels to get you off of this thing. And the other guys go, says, will you just please remember me? And what does Jesus say? Today is your day of salvation. Today you'll enter into heaven with me. In other words, your sins are forgiven you. Can I tell you something? We hurt each other all the time, don't we? In our marriage, in our relationships, even with our children. Can I tell you, I blew it with my kids this week. Here at the church, <laughs> you want to hear something crazy? We're here painting during the week, and it's, it's been a great thing for me and my family to come and paint. And I finally grew up enough to let the kids just paint and not worry about what it's going to look like. And so we're here, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday, and I had a sheetrock finisher that was supposed to come and finish the job up with excellence. And I'm supposed to then just come and paint and be done. I get into the building and he didn't come. And there's a lot of things left undone and I can't get him on the phone. And so inside him, I'm getting frustrated. It's building up the flesh. You know what I'm talking about? And so my kids, I mean, they're there just to be with their mom and their dad and just, hey, we can paint. That's all they're there for. And so I'm I'm having to get them all lined up and I'm trying to walk in grace and I'm trying to walk in peace and gentleness and tenderheartedness and all these things that I'm just not naturally used to. And I find myself starting to bark. You ever do that? I'm like, no, you can't leave those lines right there. Just like that. Come on. I mean, I chewed my son out. He left a couple lines and I'm like, dude, I didn't tell you three times. Come on, man. He's 11. And my wife, she, she's, she's very good at, she looks at me and I can feel those eyes. And she'll, she'll look at me and when I finally look at her, she'll go, just breathe. And a lot of times I take that and go, okay, 
All right, I'm just going to breathe. And I'll walk off and go. <sighs> Sometimes I grab a brown paper bag. <gasps> no, I'm just joking. It didn't work. I just got frustrated. I stayed frustrated. And I kept on barking. Before you knew it, I'm barking at my wife. And I was like, man. I know what I'm doing. I've been there before a hundred times. I'm going, man, come on. And finally, I just, I'm, I'm sitting there and I, I just gave up. I'm like, because when your wife's mad at you, you just soon give up. <laughs> I'm like, forget it. The dang building's just going to look bad. And I'm, like, and I'm thinking in my heart, I'm going, Lord, what am I frustrated about? And he said, you're just simply frustrated because the guy didn't take care of what he was supposed to do. But the problem is, is you can't get him on the phone to release your anger towards him. So you're releasing it on your kids. I'm like, Man, I'm so tired of going down this road. So my wife, she left the building, went, got pizza and came back and sent one of the kids to tell me it was time to eat. And so we walked into the church. We sat down, we fixed all of our pizza and I tried a few little nice things towards my wife. You know, you got to test the waters. Hey, babe, pizza smells good. Thanks for getting the pizza, babe. Come on, women, you know how you do. So we're sitting there, and I just, I just got overwhelmed emotionally. Because my kids is just like a duck's back. It just, it just rolled off, although it seemed. And I just, in that moment, I just looked at him. I said, hey, I said, hang on a second. I said, I blew it today. I lost my cool. I said, I've been barking. I've been fussing. So I need you to forgive me. And I mean, I'm about to just like lose it. I felt like such an idiot. And they all looked at me with pizza on their face. And just, okay, dad. <laughs> I'm like, is that it? Okay, dad, we forgive you. And in an instant, everything just turned around. I went, wow. And I was like, God, I need to be like that. Towards the sheetrock finisher. (laughs) Now, he will come fix the pots. But I need to be like that towards him. I forgive you. But get your butt over here and finish. (laughs) Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Jesus didn't come to the earth just to die. He came to this earth to teach us how to live. Amen. Amen. And if we'll know Jesus as teacher. And if we'll we'll pay attention to his life. One of the greatest lessons my father-in-law ever taught me. Was just simply pay attention son. Wow. Pay attention. Pay attention to what Jesus does. When you read the scriptures pay attention to how he talks. Pay attention to his attitude. Pay attention to how he lays his life down and he stays humble. Amen. And let him be the teacher in your life. Can you stand up with me this morning? He shows us how to overcome temptation by the word of God. How to face impossible situations by faith. 
how to submit to God's plan by obedience and how to show unconditional love by forgiveness. Those are four lessons that Jesus teaches us today. Just four. That's not all of them. You'll need to discover some of them for yourself, but that's four lessons that you can leave here with today and say, that's what I learned from Jesus. Because let me tell you something. Impossibilities are coming your way. Impossible situations are coming. When you become a Christian, you open the door for impossibilities to stand in front of you. I love what Pastor Willem says. He said, an impossibility or a giant that stands in front of you is actually your promotion. It's your opportunity to see God show up. It's your opportunity to go to the next level, to overcome that thing by faith. Amen. Things are coming your way that you're going to have to use the word of God against. There's going to be an opportunity to show somebody unconditional love by forgiving them. Because I guarantee you there's at least one person in this room that has unforgiveness towards somebody. Don't delay. Go take care of it today. Amen. Release that person. Let them go. Let yourself go. Is that good? Let's pray. Father, just lift your hands to heaven. Father, right now, Lord, we just, we just come to you. Jesus, we thank you for your great examples of how to live. We thank you that you came to show us how to live and to live an abundant life, Lord. And we know that when you're teaching us something, it's something that's going to leave, live, or lead towards an abundant life. So, Lord, help us to follow your teachings. Jesus, you're the great teacher. You're the greatest teacher that's ever been known. And we just thank you that we have the privilege and the honor and just the right to come to you and watch your example and follow after you. And how you just simply say to us, just watch what I do and do it. How simple is that, Lord? Help us to keep it simple, Father. Not to complicate it. But just to simply follow after you. Make us hungry for your word, Lord. Hungry for the truth that sets us free. Father, there's someone here just walking in unforgiveness, bitterness towards somebody else, or maybe even towards you, God. I just pray right now, and I say to those people, be released. Be released, be free in the name of Jesus. So, Father, thank you for your great examples. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good, I hope you put this into practice. I hope you have a great week. If you need prayer, I'll be here afterwards.